When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was one of your worst celebrity encounters or uncomfortable celebrity encounters? I look across the room, there's Bill Murray. Because my friends had worked at Saturday Night Live, I had actually met him for two seconds before. So I go over and he goes, ask me a fucking question. So I was like, okay, okay, sorry I bothered you. I'll just, I'll just go over and he grabs my arm and he won't let go. And he's like, ask me a fucking question. Meanwhile, he starts to yell so loud, the whole room goes silent. Dustin Hoffman, Halston, Andy Warhol, Cheryl Teagues, all these people are standing right there watching. There are more celebrities in that room than I ever saw at People magazine. And to top it off, basically, Robert Evans has to come take Bill's hand off my arm. And he is screaming as he leaves the room, you fucking idiot. You can't even think of a fucking question. Yes, that is the voice of Michael Small, who was a celebrity journalist for People magazine in the 1980s. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. Hello, good day, hi. And Michael is our guest today. You might remember Michael from, oh, last episode on the history of the Harvard Lampoon. Well, this is a two-parter. What you might have guessed after the Harvard Lampoon, Michael went on to be a celebrity journalist at People Magazine, and the era was the 1980s. So we got some great stories about Bill Murray, the Friars Club, Bob Evans, etc., etc., etc. And you can check out Michael's podcast, I Couldn't Throw It Out, wherever you get your fine podcasts, and I will leave a link in the show description. Also, a few quick plugs. Let's get through this quickly. On Friday, November 3rd, 7 p.m., at the Red Room, I'll be presenting my show, Tale, NYC's Finest Storytelling. Also, on Sunday, November 12th, 7 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater, I will be presenting my legendary show, AI vs. Human Roast Battle. Yes, it's the world's first human versus AI roast battle. You will see a machine learning AI take on a human comedian in a roast battle of tomorrow. It, my friends, is a turning test of hilarity. And you can find out about all my upcoming shows at Harmon Leon on the social medias, also on my website, harmonleon.com. And now, without further ado... You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. I'm trying to use the phone! Comedy History 101. You're you're one of our first two-parters. Let's say I interviewed the guy who used to be the head editor of Mad Magazine, so he was a two-parter. So you're 
You're up there. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I did have a Mad Magazine when I was growing up. I only had yeah, one. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. And my, my oh. parents were not thrilled about me having Mad, so I never got another one. That that magazine basically <laughs> just fell apart because- Oh, because of one. You treasured I, it. I, I treasured it and read yeah. it so many times. Was the was the movie parody Star Black? <laughs> something like that. But how, how did you go from the lampoon to becoming a celebrity journalist? Well, I mean, I think you'd be another question would be, how did you go from the lampoon and not become a comedy writer? Yeah, <laughs> see, that's also on my list of questions. Like, you know, you, you graduated Harvard. What, what, what was your trajectory path that led I, you to celebrity journalism? I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. None. I mean, after studying French and English history and literature, it was a little difficult to figure it out. And I also had tremendous anxiety about money. So other people could, were taking risks and they were they were willing to live with no money. Uh, many of these very successful writers, you know, really, really were able to somehow get by with side jobs or just somehow get by with no money while they were trying to write spec scripts and trying to apply for shows and having disappointments before they had huge success. And I did not feel, first of all, I didn't feel confident about my writing. I, I felt that I, I wasn't sure. I didn't think I was funny enough. I didn't think I could make it. But I also felt like I really had to have a salary coming in. So I went and foolishly went into the very low paying field of book publishing, which I did for a year. And while I was there earning $8,600 a year, Whoa. And I was one of the highest paid assistants. While I was there, one of our authors worked at People Magazine. I had been sending my clips around. The clips got sent to him and he got me in for an interview to be a fact checker at People Magazine, which they did have fact checkers. I I got in to, to interview for a fact checking job. And I think I've, I've mentioned to you before, the they told me there were no jobs available. The woman who was hiring said there are no jobs available. And then I noticed that she had some very scraggly plants, hanging plants in her window. So I said to her, do you mind if I, your plants need some work. Do you mind if I touch them up? And she said, okay. And I asked for a pair of scissors and I cut all her plants back. And then I rooted all the pieces that I'd cut and put them in little cups for her and went to leave. And she said, can you start on Monday? I got the job by, <laughs> by, by pruning her plants. Pruning her plants, and that's not even a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's just what happened. <laughs> and then, what was your first celebrity assignment? You gave me sort of a list here. Was it Cary Grant in the Friars Club roast? I think that was later. I think Rin Thayer and Jerry Anthony were two stars of One Life to Live. And they were getting married, or they already were married. And I know that I went to do a story. That was an early one. I went to, to the set of One Life to Live, and there's a picture of me somewhere up in my boxes with the stars of One Life to Live on the set in my, like, really, you know, awkward, non-New York clothes, because I'm still wearing, like, my college stuff that the sports jacket I got in high school that I'd never wore during college, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and then so I, that was one of my first stories to to report that. But also the preppy handbook, because I had just gotten out of 
college, I interviewed Lisa Bernbach. And I think that might have been my actual first real story that I was, I mean, to me, I could not believe they were paying me to do this. I get to go meet somebody, ask them questions, go to fun places, bring it back. You know, people taught me how to write because I really wasn't a good writer at all. And they were very, very patient with me and helped me get better as a writer and as a reporter. So it was pretty dreamy, that job. What do you think is so different now in celebrity journalism between like in the 80s? You know, now it's just like, okay, I got to write this. But then an hour later, there's going to be a million pieces like over it because it's the internet. (laughs) And then tomorrow it's completely gone and off the front page of something. When you had, you know, you're putting out one issue a month. Well, we were putting out one issue a week for people. Oh, one day. Oh, yeah. Okay. People. Yeah. One issue a week for people. But there are obviously so many things that are different. One is access to celebrities. I used to say, you know, I have to go to their home. I I need a home. And a lot of times we turn it down. If they said, you can't, you can't come to my home, we wouldn't do the story. So it depended on how much we wanted the story, but I would spend, you, you know, I spent over a day with Joni Mitchell, you know, people gave us time and they gave us access. And there were publicists who took two two approaches. There were publicists who said, never in your living days are you going to get to talk to Elizabeth Taylor or whoever. You know, I am going to shield her from you with all my powers. And if you think you're going to get around me, guess again. You know, there would be those. But then there, for every one of those, there were 10 or 12 of other publicists who were like, how can I help you do this story? What info can I send you? And they really could could help a lot and sent story suggestions that sometimes were really good. And so access was a big thing. If I had a one-page story to write, I would work on it for a week. Now you would work on it for an hour. You would, yeah. <laughs> it, I, it That's the thing that's, that's maddening coming from also the world of print into, you know, internet writing. It's just like, God, I used to spend weeks on this amount of wordage yeah. And now yep. I just did it in an hour. And, yep. you know, it's just the spaghetti against the wall syndrome. Throw yeah. some more spaghetti. Come on, quick, quick. We need some I more know. spaghetti. <laughs> and it's 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 frustrating. And, I, of course, I was part of, of creating that because I started at one of the first websites in 1995. I was at Wired's website and then worked on websites for 27 years. So that whole type of journalism that developed, I was part of developing it. When I was at Wired, I, you know, was one of the people who said we need to put the comments at the bottom of the story. And that had not been done. And we started doing that, putting comments. And always every story had a link to the comment area. That was going to happen. It's just we were there early, so we did it first. And we had better technology because Wired had really, really, really great engineers for that time, a whole room full of engineers doing programming. And so we had better, you know, like I think that Time Inc. had some websites back then, but they just weren't up to snuff. So we were able to innovate. I think at least, if not the first, one of the first blogs was called Suck, which was on 
the Wired website. And Wired really innovated a lot in those early years before completely shutting down that website called Hotwired and throwing throwing it away. <laughs> I'm trying to use the phone. I, I remember you telling a story at Tail. It was like you you were interviewing Boy George. And it's like, I just interviewed Boy George. I need a margarita. You know, just like, oh. you know, just like it just drained you of, <laughs> you know, because it's again, it's like the luxury of time, having time to do a long interview or spend like a day or a week with someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in my case, I actually never did interview Boy George. I interviewed Marilyn, his friend. Do you remember Marilyn? I don't. No, no, no. Just tell tell us and the listeners. Ma Marilyn was Boy George's friend. This was a perfect example of at work, they would say, Marilyn's in town and we need someone to go to the Russian tea room and, and go have lunch with Marilyn. So I got to go to the Russian tea room and there was Marilyn. And I remember one of the things Marilyn said, I used to be, wear a skinny tie every single day. And the thing was, this was the 80s. So I thought I was very Elvis Costello. And I'd wear the skinny tie with my black shoes and white socks. And, and I thought I was very, I was trying to be new wave, I guess. And then later, like 20 years later, I wore the skinny ties to work every day at MSNBC. <laughs> but I showed up in my skinny tie with my thrift shop sports jacket and Marilyn said, oh, you're very smart. But I didn't know that was a British expression for you're well-dressed. So I thought, well, what did I do that Marilyn thought I was so smart? That was just a typical thing of like, this was work. Work was to go to the Russian tea room to talk with this celebrity, hear what the celebrity had to say, talk about Boy George, see what was going on, and then go back to work. That was work. I mean, go back to the office because <laughs> I was work. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. King at the Russian Tea Room. What was your dealing with Cary Grant in the Friars Club? And again, I I love the comedy history of the Friars Club. I think it's closing, isn't it closing? I'm it not might be sure. closing, but yeah. I I'm, I'm pretty sure I went to a few Friars Club roasts. I have all my notes from that event, and one of the interesting things is I have a tape that I took from the event, but I was always I was there to get quotes about Cary Grant. So when people did funny bits in the comedy, I was preserving my tapes and I would turn it off in the middle of Red Buttons doing his thing. I, you know, Red Buttons had, do you know, remember who Red Buttons is? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a classic it, uh, comedian. Yeah. 
he had a shtick that he did at every Friars Club event. Was it which, never got a dinner? Exactly. Never, okay. Here we All go. Right, then, then I do know who Red Buttons is. Harmony. I, I, again, I, I love those old school. I love the old school comedians with the catchphrases. Yeah. So we have to explain a little bit. It would be like Harmon Leon, who ruined New York with all his telling stories that none of them were true, never got a dinner. Never you know, got a dinner. <laughs> meaning never got a dinner for the Friars Club. Ah. And he would do like 10,000 of those in a row. And partly just because it was so repetitive, it became funny. I did have... A little quote from him that the Cary Grant thing, but anyway, it, it, his his Cary Grant speech is on YouTube, and oh, well, they didn't gonna, they didn't uh, yeah. cut it. They didn't cut it, but he did say a few things. He said were before he got into Never Got a Dinner, he did. There was quite a list of celebrities at that event, really huge number of celebrities. He said all the singers are Italian and all the comedians are Jewish, which is ridiculous because there's very little difference between the Italians and the Jews. One year of high school. Ah, <laughs> never got a dinner. Never got a dinner. And then another thing he said was, it's a pleasure to be here tonight to honor Cary Grant, a man who is not only a friend to me, he's a total stranger. That was a red buttons kind of line. I want who, to see who was the, the murderer's role of comedians that were on that roast? I know that Frank Sinatra was the MC, And, oh, wow. you know, they had Tom Brokaw, Gregory Peck, Elizabeth Taylor had some sort of funny comment that she sent him. A lot of people, a lot of people sent comments that were then read, but the the list of famous people that was a major famous people event. People really showed up for for him. I know that is the event where I sat next to Harry Winston, and I thought that we were at the losers table. And you know, Harry Winston is this the jewelry store on Fifth Avenue. No, no, no. Harry Winston is mentioned in Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Oh, really? Okay, um, gotcha. This is great comedy history. <laughs> there you go. Well, he wasn't a comedian. Marilyn Monroe in the song Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend says something like, talk to me, Harry Winston. And Harry Winston Jr., or or one of, one of Harry Winston's sons, I guess there's a Harry Winston Jr., because this was not the original Harry Winston. He seemed like a young guy. He It turns out he was probably 10 or 15 years older than I was at the time. But he was really well-dressed and, and, and you know, he, he looked like he had his act together. And But he was alone at this table. So I thought, you know, they put the losers at this table. And you've got to understand, Harry, Harry Winston is absolutely the equivalent of meeting whoever of the family that started Tiffany's. You don't, you don't get higher than Harry Winston, right? Yeah. And there were two brothers and this was, must've been one of the brothers. And, but I figured, you know, if he's sitting with me how, and he's there alone, he wasn't with anybody. So I asked him what he did. And I said, I said, what's your name? He said, Harry Winston or, or whatever Winston. And I said, what, you know, what do you do? And he said, well, my family has a jewelry company. And I went, oh my God, my uncles have a jewelry company in Wilmington, Delaware. Maybe they know each other. Where's, where's your, where's your uh, family's business? He goes, well, we're on Fifth Avenue. And I go, ooh, the high price spread. (laughs) I mean, you know, they're on Fifth Avenue in like 57th Street. (laughs) And then I go, well, did you, did you, did you maybe, you know, maybe your, your dad who, started like maybe 
they he go, did he ever go down to 47th Street to the Diamond District to buy diamonds? He might have met my uncle there. And he was like, no, we, we usually get our stuff somewhere else. And and <laughs> I'm like, well, I just I just if you're you know, your family's ever out there and you meet the Levitts from Levitt Jewelry Company in <laughs> Wilmington, Delaware, you know, I knew we'll have, we'll have a real connection there. And I went home and I looked it up and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. He was very good natured about the whole thing. Like he was like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the Levitts and the Winston, Winstons will meet. <laughs> Excuse me. What was one of your worst celebrity encounters or uncomfortable celebrity encounters? Well, there were a few. I could tell you about one about a tent that involved tennis or but I would say the worst one involved going to the opening party for the movie Tootsie and that was 1982 so it was very early in my reporting career it was the first party that I had ever been asked to cover the People magazine heard that this party was happening and an editor came into the fact checkers room because I was a fact checker where a bunch of us sat in a room and he said, you know, there's this party for this movie. It sounds like a real bomb. Dustin Hoffman's in it, but it's called, you know, it's it just sounds terrible about some guy who dresses up as a woman to get acting roles. It's called Tootsie. And we just need someone to go to the party, please. You know, just in case we get some quotes, in case somebody's there, whatever. And everybody else was like busy with this or that. They were going to Studio 54. They were going to Limelight, wherever they were going. I don't know. Limelight, Limelight didn't exist yet. I guess they were going to some other place. And nobody could do it. No one was interested. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go, I'll go. So he gives me the invitation. It's black tie. As I mentioned, I have that that tuxedo I bought for $5 in college. So I go rush home, put on my tuxedo. And I go to the to the screening. First, there's a screening of the movie. And I'd never done anything like this. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of what I should ask people about this movie. And I was applying my history and literature background. And I came up with this question, how does this movie reflect the role of women in society today? So I end up afterwards going to the party. It's at the home of Robert Evans, who's the producer legendary producer kid stays yep. in the movie yep exactly yeah. <laughs> i you know i i actually had i think seen the godfather and other things that he produced but but i didn't a producer was of no interest to me you know i was like eh, he's not a celebrity so i get to his house i'm actually quite disappointed because he lives in a building with other people and i think you know well, if you were rich, you'd have your own house in New York. So he happens to have a three-story apartment on Park Avenue, but that to me was not that wasn't enough for me. I I I was, you know, I didn't understand New York very well. So of course it was the most spectacular apartment. And I walk in and I'm like, yeah, it's not even bigger than our house in Massachusetts. I thought it should be like a mansion inside there. So there are celebrities everywhere and I I have some encounters with, for instance, there's Danny Kaye across the room. I 
am excited because he's one of the only ones I recognize. And I run over to him and I say that I'm from People Magazine. And he goes, People Magazine. And I'm like, yeah, People Magazine. And he's like, People Magazine? And I'm like feeling kind of proud because I guess he cares about where I'm from. And he turns to me and he says, People Magazine, a fucking piece of shit. It's like, that's like a scene how like, the zero marcel producers like you people <laughs> and that was danny k was so yeah wonderful and sweet in all those movies so i was crestfallen and, and <laughs> i i didn't know who you know i didn't know what to ask people who to talk to so finally then then i look across the room there's bill murray because my friends had worked at saturday night live i had actually met him for two seconds before. So I go over and I mentioned before to you, Tom Gamble and Max Pross from The Lampoon. So I go up to Bill Murray and I say, hey, Bill, I'm a friend of Tom Gamble and Max Pross. Will you talk, to, give me a quote for People Magazine? So he pauses and he looks down on me for a minute. And he goes, all right, you really know those clowns? And I say, yes. He goes, all right, since you know them, I'll talk to you. Ask me a question. So I ask him my question, how does this movie reflect women's role in society today and he goes stupid question next question so then <laughs> i didn't have so much but i thought i'll give put a little mm -hmm. twist on it so i go how does this movie reflect the role of actors in society they see what i did there yeah yeah, yeah. a little twist <laughs> yeah he's like stupid question next question so then i'm like oh my god okay i'm sorry i bothered you i i i i i i didn't really have a good question is there anything else you can tell me about this movie and he goes, just I said, just say anything you want, any quote that I can take away for this movie. And he goes, ask me a question. And I said, no, I, I don't need to. It's fine. He goes, ask me a fucking question. Everybody was saying fucking to me that night. And I'm like, oh, God, no, no, no. So I was like, okay, okay, got it. Just, just pretend. Sorry, I bothered you. I'll just, I'll just go over. And he grabs my arm and he won't let go. And he's like, ask me a fucking question. Meanwhile, he starts to yell so loud, the whole room goes silent. Dustin Hoffman, Halston, Andy Warhol, Cheryl Teagues, all these people are standing right there watching. There were more celebrities in that room than I ever saw at People magazine. And to top it off, basically, Robert Evans has to come take Bill's hand off my arm. And he is screaming as he leaves the room, you fucking idiot. You can't even think of a fucking question. And everybody is it's silent. Were you like 21 at the time or something? I was maybe 22 or 23. <laughs> you stupid <laughs> idiot. Ask me a fucking question. You can't even. And then he says, I'm going to call Gamble and Pross and tell them how stupid you are. And and I told called Tom. And Tom and I talked about this recently. And he said, I thought you were calling to tell me somebody died. And I said, Tom, I, I, I made a fool of myself with Bill Murray. I asked some stupid questions. And and. Tom said that he talked to Bill Murray after that. I I think Bill called Tom and said how stupid I was. And and you know, Tom's take on it is that Bill was just pulling my arm and that it was it was an act. I feel like it was more than that, but I do Tom really knows Bill and he says Bill's a really nice guy and that he was just uh, playing with me because I said, he said it and, and he said, Bill was just really mad because he thought I didn't really know Tom and Max and he thought I was a faker and that he was going to punish me for faking that I knew them. So great. So, and, and Bill, Bill's like about six foot five, isn't he? He's like bigger than you think. He, he, yeah, he was, he was big and, and, you know, I'm five, four. So, but I, I would say that 
I thought that my career was over and I was really ready to throw in the towel. Maybe all that stuff on the lampoon with all the rejection that I got gave me the strength to go back and try again. And I stayed at People Magazine 16 years and I became a party reporter. And that wraps up today's episode on the history of 80s celebrity journalism. And be sure to check out Michael's podcast, I Couldn't Throw It Out. I will once again leave a link in the show description. Also, once again, a few plugs. On Friday, November 3rd, 7 p.m. at the Red Room, I will be presenting my show, Tale, NYC's finest storytelling. Michael has been a guest on Tale numerous times, and that's where I first heard the Bill Murray story. And my take is there might have been some substances involved with Bill Murray in that circumstance. I'm going to say allegedly there might have been some substances involved. Allegedly. Also on Sunday, November 12th, 7 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit, I'll be presenting my show AI versus Human Roast Battle. Yes, come out and see a machine learning AI take on a human comedian in a roast battle of tomorrow. Yes, it's a turning test of hilarity. You can find out all the information on my upcoming shows at Harmon Leon or on my website, harmonleon.com. Also, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101. Leave us a few stars when you can. And we will read your comments right here on the air. Such as this comment from Sarah Libby on The Harvard Lampoon with Michael Small. Sarah writes, Michael is my podcasting partner, so this is going to have to lean towards the favorable. He is also my great friend beginning freshman year in high school. We have had more laughs together with tears and gasping breath and still do to this day. Not only is Mike intellectual and funny, but the most thoughtful person whom I feel blessed to call my friend. In college, Mike invited me to the Harvard Lampoon party at the castle. Norman Lear was the guest of honor, and the night was a whirl of loud music, dancing, and raucous laughter. Sarah, thank you for your comments. And until next time, everyone, bye-bye. Comedy History 101.